Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJS Bay's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education. Uh, it's a show, a program designed to give a conversation on the ed- education issues of the day, the important education issues of the day, and to bring state leaders and educational leaders to you. I hope you feel free to be part of that conversation. My name is Ray Pinney. I will be your host this morning. Today we will not only be taking your calls, but we also have our, a chat room open. I think this gives you another vehicle in which to participate in the show. To participate, you have to, if you want to call in, you dial 1-347-989-8904, and then press 1, and that will indicate to Jennifer on our switchboard that you have a question. She will ask your name and get the question or topic um, and get it over to me. Uh, if you're on the chat room, you just write in a question on the chat room, and she will send it all, she'll be monitoring it and send the questions to me as soon as she can. Uh, also, if you're on the phone line, I will ask that you turn down the volume of your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be delay and it is confusing. Uh, I think that answers, tells you how to participate. Um, today's program, will be discussing uh, board member uh, indemnification. Uh, you know, all board members, whether they're elected or appointed, are volunteers, and they're expected to follow the, the laws of New Jersey uh, and also the Code of Ethics for school board members. But they are indemnified in that role. And we're going to have a little conversation on what that means, what uh, indemnification is, why we have it, uh, what are the parameters. And to do that, uh, I have Joseph Roselli from the law firm of Shank, Price, Smith & King. Um, welcome, Joe. Hi, Ray. How are you? Good. Uh, just thanks, tell thanks us briefly how long you've been an attorney. Uh, in specialized in school law. Sure, I've uh, I've been an attorney for nine years now, which still feels like yesterday. Um, and I've been doing school pretty much school law for uh, eight of those years, uh, pretty much exclusively. So that's uh, you know, it's real interesting, and every day is different, which is why I like it a lot. Okay, and uh, your firm represents uh, districts mostly in the central to northern part of the state, right? Yeah. Um, I'm actually an attorney with uh, Skank, Price, Smith & King, and we actually represent districts all over. We go all the way down to to Camden County, all the way up, you know, to Bergen. So it's actually the entire state. Wow, I didn't know you went that far south. Oh, yeah, yeah. a lot of drives. I put a lot of miles on my 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 car doing that. Okay, let's talk. What is indemnification? Well, indemnification is, uh, it's pretty simply, it's the reimbursement of uh, legal fees and costs uh, related to one's defense of a legal proceeding. I mean, you know, so all the uh, attorney fees, all the costs of filing suits or, or responses to those suits, those kinds of things is is uh, what's encompassed under indemnification. So that's the reimbursement of those fees. All right, but why would why do we have uh, and, and a board member uh, is indemnified uh, by the board of education? Why is that? Well. You said it before, Ray. You said that board members are volunteers, and uh, the reason for indemnification of these volunteers is because you know this is an unpaid position, and board members especially are uh, very susceptible to having legal actions filed against them based on their actions on the board, or just because they're board members. And if those fees and you know they can reach thousands of dollars, if those fees weren't indemnified, uh, it would really deter a lot of people from 
even running for the board, from serving on the board the way they want to, um, from allowing them to act like they believe they should. And uh, it's just really, you know, the indemnification there uh, is just another level of protection for those board members who um, want, when, you know, when they run for the board, when they want to act on the board, lets them do that. And they're only, uh, am I correct, they're indemnified uh, only for their actions as if something occurs, uh, um, I'm sorry, let me re- rephrase that. They're indemnified because of their action as a board member, that th- this case was was filed against them only because their actions as a board member? Uh, well, yes, mostly. Um, you know, there's a statute in the education statutes, Title 18A, and it's 12-20, uh, which really is the statute that covers the indemnification of board members. And what that statute says, you know, in a nutshell, is that whenever a uh, civil, administrative, criminal, or quasi-criminal action or other legal proceeding uh, has been uh, or shall be brought against the board member arising out of the duties, arising out of and in the course of the performance of their duties as a board member, then they're entitled to indemnification. And there are some uh, caveats to that, obviously, especially with the criminal or quasi-criminal. But for the most part, it's when uh, an action has been brought against the board member for any act or omission arising out of and in the course of the performance of their duties. And so it's not just member, anything. It's not, yeah, yeah right. Um, yeah. It's, now, if a board member, uh, and I think this is probably uh, not known particularly by members of the uh, general public, but if a board member is even found guilty, say, of an ethics violation, uh, they're still indemnified. Right. Well, you know, when I said there were some caveats, really it's um, – it doesn't really matter what the outcome is for a civil or administrative, um, or depending on what it is, an other legal proceeding. Uh, however, on the criminal or quasi-criminal action, so if someone was charged with a crime based on their board membership, uh, they would have to be found not guilty to be indemnified. But for uh, a civil action where someone's sued in, in a, a superior court or an administrative action like an ethics commission case, uh, you're, you are correct that it doesn't matter if they're uh, not guilty. Uh, they're still indemnified. So, you know, just to give you an example on that, you know, if if a board member was uh, subject to an ethics complaint for a vote that they uh, cast at a board meeting, let's say they did something that was clearly unethical, like um, casting a vote for uh, to hire their sister or brother or husband or wife or whatever it is, uh, you know, under the ethics code, that's unethical uh, and under the nepotism code now, actually, actually, but uh, it doesn't matter that what they did was wrong. If someone decides to file an ethics complaint against them, you know they were acting in the, out of and in the course of the performance of their board duties when they cast a vote at a board meeting. So they're likely going to be identified for that action, even if they were found guilty, which they probably would be. And that and that's something that uh, if someone's filing an ethics charge, I guess they should keep that in mind uh, that the board will yeah. be. Uh, reimbursing that board member even if they're found guilty. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Now, is, is that a blank check on the legal fees, or should, how does the board work on that? Is there, should they have a board policy in that area? Well, it's not actually a blank check. The statute um, does require that the legal fees be what's called reasonable. There's no real uh, guidance on what that means. So it's, you, know, you can't say, um, 
you know, a board policy limiting legal fees to $10 an hour, for example, would clearly be unreasonable. But it's not to say that if you go out and get the best attorney who's uh, a professor at Harvard Law who does all these, you know, these cases like the back of his hand, he knows everything, and he charges $300 an hour or 350 it's not to say that that's an unreasonable amount. That's actually up, uh, up for the court or the ALJ to decide on in a later action. So it's really it's difficult to say that the board can limit those legal fees um, it's really whatever it, whatever the cost is to indemnify that board member, and as long as it's reasonable. Hmm. Um, now, uh, in other words, a couple of things. That, you know, I, I read an article that your uh, your firm put out. Uh, you're indemnified for a legal proceeding. What's a legal proceeding? <laughs> well, that's uh, you know that's one of those questions where who knows, but. Uh, <laughs> Because the statute, what the statute says, and by the way, yeah, that article was written by a partner of my firm, Mark Zinnemer. Um, so if anybody wants it, I actually do have a copy of it. <laughs> but, you know, what the statute says is uh, that you're indemnified for civil, administrative, criminal, quasi-criminal, or other legal proceedings. Uh, and it doesn't really define what an other legal proceeding is. So, of course, then we go to case law and see what the, what the courts have actually said. There's only one case, uh, and it's very recent, actually, which kind of goes through the test of what a legal proceeding is. And uh, that was an appellate division case uh, called Castriata versus Roxbury Board of Ed. And what the court did was, uh, it, well, and first of all, in that case, the Board of Education wanted to uh, censure uh, a board member for some actions mm-hmm. that she took, um, you know, in the district. And they went through the whole thing, and they actually had a hearing before the board where that board member appeared um, with witnesses, and the board heard the testimony. The board considered and rejected some objections. They um, listened to the board member's response to the allegations against her. They weighed the evidence. They found uh, they ended up actually finding her guilty of the conduct. Um, so what the court said was, well, that right there is kind of a quasi-judicial uh, proceeding. And, you know, once you look at all the factors in that, it was, it was actually, she had an attorney, it was, it was very, it was more formal than not, you know, all those things that went into it, and they found that that was actually a legal proceeding, kind of what mm-hmm. the board, uh, what the statute, you know, um, contemplates for what that is. So, uh, really, it's, it's something that kind of seems like a legal proceeding is the easiest way to say it. Um, you know, it could be an action before the board or uh, before some other tribunal that's not listed, that doesn't really fall under one of those categories, but uh, one of the other categories in the statute. But, you know, that's a pretty good explanation of what it could be, where there's witnesses, where there's attorneys, where there's findings, all that kind of stuff, which is kind of almost like a quasi-judicial function would be uh, would likely be a legal proceeding. Obviously, I'm not, I'm a lawyer. I can't say anything certain, but <laughs> what's like, you know, what's likely a quasi-judicial proceeding, so... I have a Go question ahead. that was sent to me, uh, so we're going to switch up a little bit. Um, a board member said she felt she was advised that she could be sued personally if she did not, or he, I'm not sure what it is, uh, vote a certain way on the superintendent contract. Is there a times when board members can be sued personally? Um, for actions for action? that they've taken as a board member? Yeah. Is that what you mean? I mean, yeah, yeah there there are times when, um, you know, a member of the public or anybody could say that uh, something, you know, let's say a board member got up at a meeting and, and really um, 
said some harmful or hateful things against a member of the public, that member of the public could then sue personally for um, you know, slander or if it was in writing libel or something like that. Um, or, I mean, anybody can file a suit against anyone pretty much for anything. But, um, you know, I, I didn't know the exact question of what she said. But, yes, there are uh, times where you could be sued personally. But, again, then you're going to have the test of whether or not the legal fees are going to be indemnified and you get a defense that the board pays for and whether or not that was related to the board duties. So, uh, could it, if a board member, there's ethics charges filed by a board member, not from another board member, because I think that's a little different scenario, but uh, from outside, from a member assistant, can the board attorney represent the board member? Uh, if it's not filed by a, a fellow board member? Right. Well, the, the attorney really works for the Board of Education as a whole. So it, let's say a member of the public filed something against the board, a board member for an ethics violation. If the board itself, you know, maybe in a board vote, uh, decided that they wanted to allow the attorney to do that and represent the board member, then it could be done. But since the attorney really works for the board as a whole and not an individual member in a personal capacity, um, without that, I, I, would, I would advise without the actual board itself agreeing to it, then that's something that should not be done. Um, okay, yeah. So the but, board you know, would have to okay actually, that. Right, because it's really an expensive board funds. Um, so the board itself so, could agree to that, but... In, in any other case, the uh, the board member would have to get their own attorney, which then, of course, would be indemnified, assuming it meets the statutory requirements. Okay. Um, a lot of times, a lot of these uh, issues that come up before board members, and with, either with the public or with each other or with the administration, are all uh, found in the Code of Ethics. Um, yep. uh, can... Uh, in, in the Code of Ethics, there are multiple issues, and sometimes can there be times when charges of firewall, some of it may seem to be part of their board duty, and in other times it may not be part of their board duty? And if that's true, how do you in determine it, what gets indemnified? Oh, oh absolutely. Um, you know, hopefully every board member is familiar with the Code of Ethics. They have to, uh, you know, have to listen to that every year at a board meeting, and there's all kinds of training on the Code of Ethics and all of that. So nothing what I say that I'll say hopefully is going to be new for anyone listening. But, uh, you know, the Code of Ethics itself really has uh, ten provisions about conduct that board members should not do. Some of those provisions deal with personal conduct. Some deal with board conduct. Uh, and when you look at most ethics complaints that are filed, there's, uh, it's not usually just one allegation. It, it, could be, uh, it could be any number of allegations, 20 even. So you really have to look at each of those allegations and um, see whether or not, you know, make a determination really whether or not that conduct is uh, meets the conduct in the statute that says it has to arise out of it in the course of the performance of their duties. You know, for example, one of the uh, code of ethics deals with um, authority of the board, and it says, "I will." This is uh, number uh, letter E. I will recognize that authority rests with the Board of Education and will make no personal promises nor take any private action that may compromise the board. When you look at what that private action means, you know, that could be something completely unrelated to, uh, to your board duties and, and you're not actually taking that action as a board member. Um, so that's mm -hmm. one of those things where the court would then have to see, look at that private action and see whether or not it meets the standard and what, whether that private action was, was done as a board member or not as a board member. Um, you know, and, and there's really no case law giving us any guidance on that. There was there was one case uh, called Matthews versus the Inglewood Board of Education where uh, a whole 
plethora of ethics charges were filed against the board member. It, it, there was, you know, tens of them, more than 20 even. And they went through the entire ethics code pretty much, the, the allegations. So some of those allegations were dismissed as uh, not related, you know, not violations, and some were not. Um, but at the end of the case, the ALJ ruled that most of the allegations were related to the board, to the board's, uh, board members' actions. But there was no question, there was no answer as to, you know, how many of them were related to the actions or where, uh, you know, where that line was drawn about how many of them he was going to be indemnified for. You know, what if, what if a court found uh, that a, a board member's actions, you know, out of 10 allegations, five of them were related to the board of membership and five were not? How do you parse out the indemnification? You know, is the board member entitled to only half of his legal fees? Is, is he entitled to... Um, you know, 75% or all of the, is it all of uh, 100% of those legal fees? Unfortunately, the Matthews case, that was really what happened in the Matthews case, but the the case settled before the court made a decision. So we really don't know. I mean, presumably, when I look at that, I would say that, yes, the board member would be entitled to half, to whatever, uh, you know, proportional share of the legal fees related to their board duties and whatever did not would be their own responsibility. But again, we don't know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure one of these days that's going to be answered. <laughs> if someone's found guilty of, uh, and this is not clear, this is not really an uh, uh, indemnification, but uh, since we're a little bit on the code of ethics, is found guilty of a ethics violation, can they still run for the board? Uh, later on, sure. Um, yeah, there's no restriction on them running for the board in the future. Even if they were removed from the board for an ethics uh, violation at one point, which is you know, the highest penalty that the Ethics Commission can, can give, um, if they wanted to run in a, in a future election, you know, they, they, have, uh, they have the right, like any citizen, to do that. Okay. And um, you were talking about a case before, and uh, can a board, and in that legal proceeding where a board kind of brought discussed another board member's actions, uh, can a board censure or take action against another board member at, for those actions? Well, in that case, um, you know, I mentioned only the appellate, that was the Castriotic case, I mentioned only the right. appellate division decision about the indemnification, but there was, you know, a whole list of decisions under that from the commissioner and ALJ and, and all of that, the School Ethics Commission, and what the courts and the commissioner said was that only the School Ethics Commission has the power to uh, punish a board member for actions that could violate the ethics code. So, if a board wanted to uh, censure a board member or reprimand a board member for, um, for example, like I said before, taking private action that could compromise the board, that's uh, mm -hmm. that's not allowed under the law. Only the Ethics Commission has that power. Hello? Uh, hello? Hello? I, I, hello? I, do you have a question? Uh, do you have a question? Yes, I have a question. Yes, okay. I'm a board member. All right. Where are you from? Uh, which turn? county? Uh, I'm in Bergen County. Okay. You're on live, so that's your question. Uh, should I turn off the uh, the feedback? No, I can hear you. It's fine. Should I turn off? Okay. Good. Uh, good morning. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, uh, is the information that is contained in a superintendent's weekly memorandum to board members? Is the information contained therein deemed confidential and/or privileged? Well, 
it might depend well, first, on that report. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, 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 you know, it depends on what's in the report. If it's just, uh, you know, without seeing it, if it's just a school calendar, for example, then I would say that that's not, there's no reason to keep that confidential. But if it talks about uh, personnel issues or any of the things that are confidential under, uh, you know, the OPMA or the, o, uh, or the Open Public Records Act, then, you know, certainly that that information is going to be confidential as well. So it really depends okay. on what's in the what's in the memo. Okay. Hypothetic. Well, hypothetically, uh, there could have been a case in a public school district in Bergen County, whereby a sitting trustee uh, read information contained in a superintendent's memo, and uh, based on that, took that information without revealing any student minor's name or identity provided information to a local newspaper reporter stating uh, there is a report of an alleged racial bias incident regarding uh, school A and school B. You might want to check that information out. And based upon that, uh, that school board trustee was eventually, uh, there was a complaint brought against him by mm -hmm. three members of the sitting board, uh, which was eventually withdrawn, but the school district spent in excess of $10,000 uh, of board attorneys' uh, fees to determine uh, guidance and navigation. Now, my question regarding indemnification is that school board trustee who was the defendant asked, once charges were filed, if the school district believed it had an obligation to indemnify that uh, lone school trustee for legal expenses. Mm -hmm. the, uh, how's that? Go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So you just want to so, know, let me just clarify your, your question is, was that board member able to be indemnified? There was never, there was never a, uh, uh, there was never a response given. Because they dropped. There was never the a reply given. Oh. I'm sorry. So there was no charges officially filed. Oh, there were charges. There were three oh, complaints okay. filed. Uh, they were on file, and then eventually, because of the, um, how shall I say, because of the, the political firestorm and the heat uh, that was generated, uh, those charges were withdrawn. It became okay. a very uh, difficult situation in terms of the board dynamic and also the community. Uh, well, I mean, just based on what you told me uh, right now, I would say that that board member would have been entitled to indemnification. Again, I don't know all the facts and everything, but, you know, really that one of the tests from one of the courts said that um, if a complaint is filed against the board member, basically – by reason of their board membership. Um, or another way to look at it is uh, if that complaint would not have been filed against the board member if they weren't on the board, then they wouldn't be entitled to identification. But since it was, and the complaint was based on information that the board member would not have had other than him being on the board, you know, that to me uh, is something that would arise out of his duties in, in the course of the performance of those duties as a board member. So just based on what you told me, not knowing anything else, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I would think that the board member would be entitled to that indemnification. And I think and, the other and, thing is, we go back to earlier, is even if the board member was found guilty, because there was a lot of information, I don't know what information was released, uh, 
they would still be indemnified, right, Joe? That's correct, Ray. Um, yep. it, like this is an administrative proceeding, so it's you know school ethics commission cases are administrative. So that's one of those cases where it doesn't matter what the outcome is. So even if they're even if those charges went all the way through and the the board members found guilty of everything and was was kicked off the board, even uh, you know that's one of those cases where they would be entitled to the legal fees, reasonable and, legal and, fees. And and the other issue is on the that's on the fir- the affirmative side, but the other side. The flip side of that coin is that how can uh, a board uh, who, where, where a board has three sitting members who filed against a, the other, another member, how can they be provided with information and legal counsel, advice, uh, whatever, on how to proceed? How can the board attorney be used to, to advise a board on how to proceed against one of its members? I mean, they're basically, in, in my opinion, uh, I'm not questioning the board attorney. I'm questioning right. the act of, be, of being beneficiary of access to an attorney for advice and counsel on how to navigate and how, how to maneuver against another sitting board member. I would think that the other three board members would indeed have to go out and go into their own pockets and find an attorney who would advise them rather than using the board attorney. How, how does that sit? Because that, yeah. was, that was over ten thousand dollars on uh, because the the ones the um, the uh, trustee uh, whom the uh, complaint was filed against uh, submitted Oprah requests, and any time that board member submitted an Oprah request, that Oprah request would in turn be sent to the board attorney for review. Of course, as oh. it should be. Okay, but. I'm gonna. <laughs> all right. So uh, that was just, uh, <laughs> Joe, could you just? I'm going to put you on hold because I have other callers and stuff, uh, and I'm running out of time. But uh, yeah, Joe, could you. you answer his last question about the board attorney advising, I guess, other board members? Or I'm not sure if it was just three board members. Well, or like the board on ethics charges. Well, hopefully, like I said, hopefully this helps. But you know, we we talked before about the board attorney representing uh, a board member in a uh, ethics complaint and then how it should not be done where it's board member against board member and it's because of precisely these reasons uh, that you wouldn't want to do that. So a lot of times board members will just file ethics complaints against other board members and proceed on their own or go out and get their own attorney. Um, But if the board as a whole, not including the board members who are named because that could open up additional ethics violations against them, vote to allow the the board attorney to do that, that's something, you know, that's something that needs to be discussed about whether that's even allowable. Again, there's a whole lot of ethics issues uh, that relate to when a board of education attorney represents board member against board member, and that's really, you know, that's something that I would I would not do. I right. would advise that it not be done. But uh, but and actually, you know, who's to say the board that the legal fees can be incurred on both sides? Well, then you're that then they're exactly then they're going to get double legal fees. Um, and that's just one of the problems, right? I mean, there's there's a lot more. There's, there's there's even worse things than the legal fees in this case, in my opinion. But that's just one of the problems: is that legal fees are going to accrue when the board attorney is doing, you know, what they what they do, which is filing actions and, and investigations and all that. Plus, they have to pay for the other attorney. So, um, for the board member, the, the defendant's attorney. So again, it's just you know, it, it. I would advise that that not be done, if possible. Okay. okay I have one last question. Uh, your your number is seven seven eight. Uh, I see you have a question. Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes, that's you. Yes, I can hear you. Okay. 
my question, I actually have two questions. Uh, first one should be very simple. Uh, is this call being recorded? Can we get a copy of yes. this call? Or this yes, this whole excellent? program is recorded and will be uh, uh, archived on the, our website. On the NJSBA website? Yes. Great. And then my other question is, and we, we've talked about uh, members pursuing it, uh, indemnification. What's, what's an actual process and, and timelines? Does that have to wait until after, um, after everything's complete? Is that just something that's submitted as, a, as an expense to the, to the business administrator? What, what's the, the process around that? And, uh, just before I, uh, that was going to be my last question. I'd like to thank you. Where, what's your first name and what county are you from? Joe, Burlington County. Joe from Burlington, thank you a lot. Uh, that was actually, Joseph, that was going to be my last, one of my, my <laughs> last questions, too. Well, um, that's, you know, as an attorney, I'll say it depends because uh, for, you know, civil and administrative actions where it doesn't really matter what the outcome of the case is, that can be, uh, you know, that's really up to the board about how they can pay that. Do they want to pay it all at once or um, as it goes? A lot of times boards will pay those kinds of cases as it goes so that it's not as huge of a hit at the end. Um, plus, obviously, attorneys like to get paid, so, you know, they're <laughs> going to keep submitting the bills. Where, where, where it becomes a little more tricky is for the criminal and quasi-criminal cases. So if there was a criminal or quasi-criminal case, the outcome, you know, the, whether or not uh, the board member is going to get indemnified depends on the outcome of the case. If they're found not guilty, they get indemnified. So there's really no, in, not only not an incentive, but the board should not be paying those fees as the case goes along because at the end of the case is when, they're going to find, is when the board finds out whether they had to do it or not. Um, as for the actual process, generally, uh, the board member's attorney, the, who, who's you know representing the board member, would just submit a letter to the business administrator with a copy of their bills and, and request indemnification, and uh, then the board would uh, you know presumably discuss it and uh, with the board member not present, and uh, and you know add it to the bills list, assuming it's reasonable. Uh, again, these these fees have to be reasonable. So if there's a question as to the reasonableness um, of the fees, that's something else that you know you'd have to discuss as well and. Uh, which could be the subject of a separate action, or maybe send those those legal bills to your own board attorney to review and make sure that those are reasonable. I sometimes mm -hmm. I get those as well. So, can the board set a policy on this though, where they could just say, you know, we, you know, we not limiting the the number, but uh, kind of defining reasonableness from their perspective, or, or how they're going to pay it too. Well, sometimes a question I get from uh, board members is, you know, we only pay this much. You know, can we limit indemnification to the same amount? Right. And the, like I said before, the problem with that is there's no answer as to what's reasonable and what's not. Uh, what's reasonable for one person, you know, when you go to it, what if you represent, what if you retain a Supreme Court justice, uh, retired Supreme Court justice as your attorney? Obviously, that fee is going to be higher, but it still could be reasonable. Right. Um, you know, for for the level of of what you're getting, so. It, it's tough to do that, um, but you know, I, I actually think it's a good idea to try it and say, you know, maybe we'll we'll limit it to uh, a, a $250 or $300 an hour, and then you're responsible for anything else above that. Um, but again, whether that would hold up if you can prove or the attorney can prove that his fees are reasonable at $500 an hour uh, is a question. So policies are, you know, I, I love policies. I, I would recommend. Um, if you want to talking about this kind of policy, but but a policy of that nature, it's it's not clear whether or not it would even hold up. 
Okay, and um, I'll be wrapping up, but let's just uh, kind of reiterate. The reason that we have indemnification is really to encourage people to participate as board members uh, in, in our democracy. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, the, these are unpaid positions, and uh, if everyone's at risk of thousands of dollars of legal fees, you know, it's hard to find people who are going to take that risk on. So it does, you know, it, it makes perfect sense as to why a board member should be indemnified for an action they take as a board member. And um, and also, that you know, I, I know I said this in the beginning, and, or you said it in the beginning, that in, in like school ethics cases and a lot of civil cases, I guess, they're indemnified. Uh, whether they're found guilty or not of the ethics charge. That's uh, that's correct. Actually, all civil and uh, administrative cases. So it doesn't doesn't matter about the outcome. How often are board members removed from a board? For it's very rare, uh, very rare, to be removed from the board. There's you know school ethics cases. There's four levels of, of violation: uh, reprimand, uh, censure, suspension, and then finally a removal. And it, it's not common that you know the Ethics Commission would remove a board member, but it does happen. It just really depends on a case-by-case basis about whether or not, you know, what the conduct they've uh, committed. So if it rises to that level, they will they will remove a board member. It's not like they would hesitate to do it, but a lot of times the conduct just doesn't rise to that level. Somebody might think it does, but, uh, you know, believe me when I say board members have done much worse. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, in closing, Joseph, I'd like to thank you. Uh, for joining us. I know uh, I Thank found a lot of this information useful. Uh, and Joe from Burlington County and all others, yes, th- these shows are archived and, re- and saved uh, so that you can listen to them at another time or actually you can send the link on to other members of the community. Uh, Joe, I'd like to thank you and I'd like to thank the listeners for the good questions. Uh, and now we'll have our next program will be in two weeks and that we'll be talking about the Common Core. So uh, once again, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Ryan. And thank all of you.